last week on the 70s weekly countdown with mark and pete that was a great toy oh yeah although i, I when i was a kid i dropped mine down the stairs and it and it broke and supposedly i don't know what was inside it back then you know uranium or something but it was supposedly <laughs> dangerous i remember my mother freaking out so actually we gotta sweep this up and get it out of here i mean you i mean you i mean you i mean you <laughs> I knew it was coming, so I waited for it. <laughs> it him now. That's Bob yep. Mayo on the keys. Right. But I used to tell my brothers that he was saying Bud Mayen on the keyboards because Bud Mayen was our, the, our city treasurer and he was a, an acquaintance of my parents. <laughs> Bud <laughs> good, Mayen good, on the Good keyboard. friends with Mayor Athenson, I'm sure, that we spoke oh, of last week. Yeah, it's uh, a synthesized sound effects to simulate the muskrat copulation because it's, Uh, yeah, that's what it said. (laughs) uh, The sound was played at the end of the song and uh, included in the uh, end groove of the 45 single. Uh, So it kept on going? Yeah, so when the record ended, it played the muskrats on a loop until the record player was attended to. And uh, just, I remember as kids when imitating Nadia Comaneci uh, in the backyard, like we just awkwardly fall down and then give ourselves a perfect 10. (laughs) (laughs) So when this song came out, my father had a guy he worked with who was a friend of his named Edward Fitzgerald. (laughs) And I remember my father being in the house and the song came on the radio and my father's like oh my god what's this song and he ended up calling the guy who the, the guys they used to call him at work eddie fitz so from then on i called the song the wreck of the eddie fitz and that's a repeat from our episode from 10 weeks ago because you said it then too did i <laughs> yes tonight on it's the mind we examine the phenomenon of deja vu that strange feeling we sometimes get that we've lived through something before <laughs> Well, I'm getting old. I think all those shows are better than what they have now on ABC. Yeah. I couldn't even name a show on ABC. Could you? It was a guy with a beard, and for a minute I was That like, was Fonzie, because he went, A. Oh, was it? Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, at first, let's, I saw it real quick, and I thought, that's Michael McDonald. <laughs> I saw that, too. I thought it was Michael McDonald. And hey, I watched it a second time, and that was Fonzie with a beard. Okay. Yeah, he, he's actually Sir Cliff Richard. He was knighted by the, the Queens, but uh, oh wow, yeah, but yeah, maybe, this the, is, maybe the new king can take it away. No, no, I'm not. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think he was referring to the Queen in this song. But this is a double woman. <laughs> if this is in the countdown, I don't know what could beat it <laughs> for a story song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the wreck of the Eddie Fitz. <laughs> <laughs>
Hello again, and welcome to the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete, a show where two friends review a randomly chosen American Top 40 episode from the 1970s, the most interesting decade in pop music. My name is Mark Robeck, and with me is my friend and co-host, Peter Gardo. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Hi, Mark. Well, I just came back from, I guess, like four and a half days in, in Maine, up in the woods. And we're working on shutting down my <clears throat> my friend's uh, camp on the lake. And we were able to get a, a round of golf in on Thursday. We we drove up with beautiful weather driving up, and, and the leaves are beautiful. You know, picture perfect New England. You know, leaves all the way up to you know north of, of Bangor, Maine, where we were. And uh, we were able to get some golf in on Thursday, and then the rain came. And I'm sure you got all that rain also down here. Yeah. It rained like cats and dogs uh, through Friday there. It was probably done down here. So so all the leaves fell up in Maine until you got back to like Freeport or Portland. And it still looks like, uh, you know, iconic New England uh, through uh, most of New Hampshire and Massachusetts and, and the state we're in. So uh, so I played golf three years and that was it. Twice up there and once with, with you. Yeah. Okay. How'd you do up there? Same. <laughs> oh, it was, it was, it was, it was, you know, when you only play three times a year. Oh yeah. I got a bogey. Uh, yeah. Uncle Bill, he got a, he got a, a birdie on one in a par. Oh, okay. And nice. uh, the other person, I think he kind of plays uh, with a foot wedge. <laughs> yeah. So I, I shot a 59, which, which is terrible for him. Yeah. For someone who doesn't play a lot, it's actually, not to, not so terrible. But most amateur golfers don't break a hundred, uh, which is well. Okay, depressing. so if I doubled it, fifty nine plus fifty nine is what? One hundred and eighteen. One hundred eighteen. Yeah. So well, I got a I got a you know a couple nines and a ten. Yeah. You know, yeah. Whatever. You know, you, you hit the ball, it would go to the left about a yard and a half. You know, click. I, you know, I could say, oh, you know, beer ball or mulligan or whatever. You know. Yeah. I want to be honest with myself. Oh yeah, because then you don't know how you you really did, you know. Yeah, you don't know how you really stunk. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you do anything good uh, over the last uh, few days? Uh, uh, not a, not a lot. Weather here over the weekend was beautiful, though. Mm -hmm. uh, just took a few excursions outside. I actually did you, took. Did you drive to walk? Um, I did one day. I actually went to Reservoir Number Six. Six, and then okay. I hiked up to the uh, the uh, Hubline Tower. Oh, so you uh, went that uh, way. Went that, yeah. went that way, which was kind of nice. No, nobody around. Yeah. Weather was nice. Saw the foliage, and uh, yeah, yeah. So that that was. Did you good. take a picture? I did actually of the valley. I did. Yeah. Well, maybe you should post that on on our new Twitter feed. What's our Twitter feed, Mark? Uh, that is at Seventies Weekly, or. As you like to call it, seven zero sweetly. Perhaps I will. Yeah. Um, I posted a couple things uh, on there, some links uh, of interest from our previous episode. Oh, I tell you, the the freaking spinners doing rubber band man. That was uh, a beautiful, beautiful. Oh my gosh, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Talk about you know putting some extra into the performance, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I tell you, I, I I have so much more appreciation for the spinners from just doing this the last well let's see this is episode 20 
almost a half year now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I always liked them, but you know, you, you really listen to the music and you're like, wow, they, they were something else. Yeah. All right. So, um, as you can probably tell, Pete and I have been friends for a long time, 30 plus years. We met in college and then we ended up working together for a long time. In each episode of this podcast, we'll review all 40 songs in the Chosen Weeks Countdown and provide some factual information on each as well as our personal opinions, stories, and comments related to it. At the end of the episode, we'll provide our individual choices for the best and worst song, a song that we think will torture the other guy that we've labeled the agonizer, and we will give our individual A plus through F grade for the entire countdown. Since nobody has the exact same taste in music, our opinions on individual songs may be controversial, but we otherwise intend to keep the conversation light, humorous, and hopefully entertaining. Remember, this is just a discussion, not a competition, so please no wagering. All right, so today's episode is episode number 25 of the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete. And it's the American Top 40 from the week ending October 23rd, 1971. And the title of this episode is Ain't No Sunshine in the Shaft. <laughs> yeah. Not, not all. I didn't give you a lot to choose from. This one was a little more difficult. Last last episode, I had like more than half a dozen. You know, this, this I only gave you two. And I, I that was the better of the two, I think. Well, but I'll post the other one. All, uh, all I can think of is when someone says, you know, put it where the sun don't shine. Yeah. <laughs> there was a far side cartoon years ago, and it shows this guy holding the TV set, and there's this big shadow. And the caption says, um, you know, there's some place in, I don't know, Montana where the sun actually never shines. And the guy's saying, Somebody told me to put this here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyhow, were you, what were you up to uh, on or about this date in 1971? Yeah, well, I don't remember much of anything, but um, <laughs> if, if, if you're watching on Channel 18, I don't know if you can see that, that's oh, yeah. Gail's spy pad number nine. So to describe it to the listeners, it says kind of a light green, uh, small spiral bound uh, memo book. And it costs 19 cents. And just kind of glancing through, I didn't, I just sort of tried to pick out some things that maybe were, you know, a reference to the culture at the time. So right around, you know, she sporadically put dates in. And and so right around the 16th, which was a, a Saturday, um, a Friday or Saturday, right before this, uh, the week before this uh, countdown, her and her girlfriends went to the movies. They went to the Bristol Theater and they saw a movie called Let's Scare Jessica to Death. And I had heard of that one, but I, I didn't know what that was. And I looked it up and it, the plot is a recently institutionalized woman has bizarre experiences after moving into a haunted country farmhouse and she fears she may be losing her sanity once again. So, of course, this is we're getting close to Halloween. So that's maybe why this was in the in the theater. But it starred uh, Zora Lampert, who we talked about before. Was yeah, she it, was on Kojak as a gypsy? She's wonderful, right? She was in yeah. that episode Queen of the Gypsies, which was one of my favorite Kojak episodes. Oh yeah, actually. that was really. And then she was on again as a different character, not as as good. Yeah, Queen of the Gypsies, but that. Queen of the Gypsies. Oh my God, the twist at the end of it is, is yeah, is, is, is horrific. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I that 
maybe my favorite episode actually. It was, yeah. it was really good. And Kojak, you know, Tully Savalas was was he was beautiful, baby. Yeah, yeah. So then the only the only other thing is that so I guess it was a double feature or whatever, but they also saw a movie called The Deserter, which was a 1970 uh Western starring Chuck Connors. Not so, Mike Connors. Right. Yep, Chuck not, Connors. Not Chuck. Who's the guy that that you know? <laughs> Who's the who's the kung fu guy who was Walker Texas Ranger? Oh, Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and not Chuck Mangione. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how many other Chucks can? How many Chucks could a woodchuck? <laughs> <laughs> Chuck, if the woodchuck could Chuck. Yeah. So that's all I had, but that that was sort of interesting. A uh, little bit of uh, culture around the time. How about you? So I was uh, one month into the first grade, and my. I was thinking about it on my way home from work today. My first grade teacher was Miss Sweet. So, <laughs> uh, and she was sweet. She was she was good. She later became Mrs. Gibbs, if I recall. Ah. And um, so this uh, this weekend was the the Craftsman's Fair at our church, and so <laughs> it was the it was the church fair, and they had craftsmen come in, and and my mother always did the posters for this. Um, and it all made all the name tags. And, you know, as we cleaned out the house a couple of years ago, just beautiful. And they, and they kept on reusing it over and over again throughout the, throughout the years. I, I, um, I don't know if they, if they still do this, but it was a big production and there was a guy that was making shingles and there was the people, I, I think of, no, not this belt, but there was, you know, the leather people, the selling the belts and they had the candy apples and the painted gourds and, you know, you didn't have face paint and, and stuff like that, like my daughter had to go through. A little different, you know, 51 years ago. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, people would be selling, uh, you know, stuff. And it, it, it was a moneymaker for uh, for the for the church that uh, we were on. And, and then um, on um, in the date book, I, I looked at the next week, kind of peeked around the corner. Calendar says the 25th of October was Veterans Day. All right. And so I had to look that up. And I went to the next month. I looked for the 11th and it wasn't there. And there was, uh, as part of the uh, universal thing of making holidays all on Mondays and junk like that, for, <clears throat> for a number of years, Veterans Day was actually the fourth Friday in in September. And then, it, and then it got pushed, you know, back to, um, uh, to, to the 11th. And so I saw that I'm like, really? I had no idea. I mean, cause we had the, I'm sure we had the day off. Mm. Okay. And so, uh, cause I did close this out. So originally scheduled for celebration. And of course in 1954 or whenever it was, they replaced it from Armistice Day to Veterans Day for all the for everyone else, but it says here on the Wikipedia, although originally scheduled for celebration on November 11th of every year, starting in 1971, in accordance with the Uniform Monday Holiday Act, Veterans Day was moved to the fourth Monday in October, October 25th in 1971, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the way through 1977. In 1978, it was moved back to its original celebration on the 11th. So, and of course, while it remains on the 11th, if it's on a Saturday or Sunday, it's the, the following um, or something like that, whatever Friday or or Monday. So I, I was kind of surprised at that. Yeah, not that I ever got the day off other than being in public school. Yeah, I I 
don't remember that that it being on a on a Friday at all. Well, um, not on a Friday in October. In October, um, it's it's the October. Oh, but didn't you say it was a Friday as well? Or no, 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 oh. no. In the end, if 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 it's around the eleventh, uh, the eleventh is on Saturday. They put it on Friday. Oh, uh, okay, kind of okay. Um, but but yeah, October. Well, yeah. I don't remember that either. So it's that, yeah. that's weird. It says here, yeah, was moved to the fourth Monday of October in 1971, 72, 73, 74, 75, 76, and 77. So right in the wheelhouse of our elementary school. Huh. Um, it was in October. Wow. Okay. Don't remember that at all. That, that's I didn't an either, interesting you know, fact. Yeah. That's why you hang on to your date books. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> that's That's really interesting. And so on that day, my mother wrote in my father's date book, quote, Bob Kaiser hopes to look you up, unquote. So <laughs> I don't know who Bob Kaiser is, and I don't know why my mother wrote that, but but that that was in the date book also. And and maybe I can maybe I can put on the on the Twitter yeah. machine a, a a you know a photograph of this month's date book. Yeah. So I wonder if there's any relation to Ed. Ed Kaiser? No, no, no. <laughs> okay. K-I-S-E-R. Ed is K. A-I-S-E-R, or okay. more, more like, you know, the Kaiser. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Wilhelm or whatever. Yeah, okay. yeah. Wilhelm II, yeah. yeah. So anyhow, so we know that um, that we would have the next Monday off uh, for, from this, but uh, any other headlines? Um, yeah, yeah, a few things. So uh, uh, interesting uh, birth on October 20th, uh, Snoop Dogg, uh, whose real name is Calvin Brodus. Uh, the American rapper. He was born in Long Beach, California. And then uh, on October 24th, Texas Stadium opens and the Cowboys trounce the Patriots 44-21. Well, that doesn't, you know, probably Jim Plunkett was on there. This stunk. <laughs> Sam Bam Cunningham. And then uh, on October 24th, Don McLean released the American Pie album, and um, it, you know that contained the big title track and also the song Vincent. Then on October 28th, John Lennon and Yoko Ono recorded Happy Xmas, uh, parentheses, War is Over, in New York City. And I guess they wanted to get that released uh, in time for the season. And then, uh, sadly, uh, on October 29th, uh, Dwayne Allman of the uh, the guitarist for the Allman Brothers Band uh, died in a motorcycle accident, and he was only 24 years old. So it was a sad day, and that's one of those, you know, what might have been, because the stuff they did put out uh, up, up to his death was, was fantastic. Yeah. He, was a, he was a young man. Yeah. So um, you talk about Mr. Dog. And uh, he originally did work with uh, Mr. Dre or Dr. Dre. He's a doctor, you know. Uh -huh. <laughs> Miss Latifah is a queen. Uh. Um, <laughs> and so there, there was a one of the videos, and I wasn't a big video guy, you know, never, never had it, but I had it at the house I was living in when uh, Snoop Dogg was working with Dr. Dre thirty plus years ago, and um, Snoop Dogg was wearing a. Uh, a jersey that had the colors of the local NHL hockey team. Yeah. 
but it was for the minor league team up the road. Because ah. the big team at the farm team, you know, where the big team had to play after the roof fell in on the arena. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, I seem to remember something about that, him wearing that jersey or seeing a picture. I wonder if I could find a picture of it. Maybe we'll post it. I bet that. you could find the video. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's big. He's selling He's selling Corona Slim Cams now. You know? Yeah. <laughs> got it made. Yeah. You know? and, and Slim is, as I was watching football was a little bit yesterday, Slim was not one of his original nicknames. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so um, yeah, in technology, nineteen seventy-one, couldn't find much, but just uh, on November third, the Unix programmers' manual is published. Uh, yeah. yeah, ah, Unix. Yeah, <laughs> aren't there still some Unix machines around in, oh, in okay. our workplace? Uh, oh, yeah. but the, it, you know, Unix is is the generic. You know, you don't have to pay royalties on it, and it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So what was the uh, the economy like? Um, yeah, okay. So um, the inflation rate was 5.7%, not the worst we've seen in the 70s. Not, not great, but not real, real bad. Uh, unemployment rate was 4.9%. It's not too good. Um, uh, today's dollar was about 14 cents back then. And how and- much was that? Uh, was, was that notebook? 29 cents, double 14, right? Um, it was 19 cents. So, oh, 19. Okay. So just That's a hard little, math. A little, okay. little over a dollar. And yep. then, um, yeah, cost of a gallon of regular gas was 36 cents. And uh, does that line up with your uh, real time data at all? Is there gas in the car? Yes, there's gas in the car. Well, the 1964 Chevy wagon was filled up on the 21st, which was would have been a, oh, I guess on a Thursday. And it was 33.9 cents a gallon. And we got 16.4 miles per gallon. And the 1970 Volkswagen Squareback was filled up um, two days before that, which would have been Tuesday. And it cost 33.6 cents a gallon. So the, the you know, the, the, right now the gas, when you go to the gas station, it goes out to three digits. And I don't know how you do three digits with, you know, a fluid like that going through hoses and stuff. So they might have only had pumps that only had a, a tenth of a of a gallon on it, or my father didn't take that other data down. Yeah. But anyhow, thirty three point six cents a gallon for a twenty five and a half miles per gallon. Yeah. Okay. And so it's it's within three cents, I guess. And the yeah. the, the, the number I get is an average for the whole year. So that's oh, you do for the year, not for the actual date. <laughs> No, I, you don't go to um, the American Petroleum Institute. And get uh, uh, no, I, uh, I, I don't. If you want me to, I could, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but your real-time data is, in my opinion, more accurate. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if I was home watching TV on the 19-inch black-and-white Zenith that we had at the time, what uh, with, with Ariel, yeah. you know, no cable. Did you have one on the roof, or did you? Oh, we had one on the roof that spun around. Did, yep. Yeah, the the rip the rotor we used to call it, where you you turn the thing and then. <laughs> yep. Now ours didn't go click click click. You just did it and you heard. Ah, uh, we had no, the, no clicking. We had the click one, which was really annoying. Uh, yeah. Ours was an archer. Oh, oh, 
from uh, from the the Radio Shack. Is from the that, Radio Shack. Yeah, yep. yeah. Archer's yeah Archer Space Patrol. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So uh, over on CBS at eight, we had it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Unfortunately, they they took off the networks. Who owns it now? Is it? I thought ABC played it now. Do they? Okay, but I thought somebody bought it, bought the whole Peanuts uh, rights. But anyway, oh, well, maybe one of those streaming places did. Yeah, but anyway, this great pumpkin, Charlie Brown, to me contains one of the greatest moments in television history, and that's where I got a uh, rock. Well, there's that, but that's the, that's the greatest one. That's that's really good because the people actually had rocks to give out to Charlie Brown. But I think when uh, Linus is uh, in the pumpkin patch, um, waiting for the the great pumpkin, and then Snoopy comes rising out, and he's <laughs> and then, you know with the moon behind him. That's fantastic. I always love that. And Linus passes out. <laughs> All right, so hold on a minute. It says here on tv.guide.com that Apple TV Plus owns the rights to the peanut specials, Uh which is great news for streaming, but not so great for those to watch on cable TV. What about over-the-air TV? Yeah, yeah. You know? With the rights lying with Apple, there are no airings of It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, on cable TV. What about over-the-air TV? yeah. However, last year, Apple made a deal with PBS to air the spooky special on PBS Kids. We'll update this post if that happens again in 2022. Yeah, that's a crime. I mean, do they really need to make money off of that? I mean, uh, I don't know. So next on CBS at 8.30 p.m., you had Funny Face. And the title of that is A Star is Born on a Stretcher. Now, I have no idea what the hell that was. Well, I remembered it because it starred patron saint of the fly-by-wire sandy, oh, sandy, sandy duncan. duncan yeah yeah and so this was uh season one episode six and the guest stars were peter graves as himself mission impossible yep and then avery schreiber who i don't know if you remember him yeah, he, he was in the burns and schreiber show and he was also in my mother the car right but basically sandy was her character was auditioning at Paramount Studios and uh, lands a bit part in Mission Impossible. So that was the plot. That's why was Lucy there at all? Peter Graves. Oh no, Lucy had already sold out. So that that I thought was uh, kind of interesting. And then so then at at nine p.m. on CBS, you had the new Dick Van Dyke show. I never then, saw that. Did you? Um, I did. It wasn't. It wasn't very good. Yeah, he was out in Arizona, I think. And then uh, at 9.30, the Mary I Tyler... I did watch Diagnosis Murder. I think that's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So at 9.30, the Mary Tyler Moore show is on, and the uh, the episode is The Cover Boy. Now, I remember this episode because the guest star is Jack Cassidy, and he plays Hal Baxter. Yeah, he plays the brother of... of uh... Of Ted okay. Baxter. Yeah. I never, I don't remember the, you know, but when I read about Jack Cassidy and then I found out about this, I'm like, oh, I have to watch that sometime. Yeah. yeah it's a good episode. And then at the end, it's, you know, it's kind of funny because don't tell, don't spoil right. it. It's I, only no been spoiler. on the air for yeah. 51 right. years. No, no spoiler alert, but it's a, it's a really good episode. Jack Cassidy, I'll tell you, uh, between the Columbo, 
and this and and like a few other things he, he was in I, I thought he was really talented father of david and sean cassidy yeah 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 let's see then rounding out on cbs you had the real mission impossible, mission impossible. <laughs> yeah. so over on abc the you had getting together which i don't remember that show at all um, and then um, at 8.30, there was a TV movie, Death Takes a Holiday. Also not familiar with that one. And then at 10, it was a show called The Persuaders. Also not familiar with that. So <laughs> didn't well, watch. Were they number 17 on our, our countdown coming up this week? <laughs> were they? <laughs> yeah. Well, huh? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I can't see that happening. Yeah, I think it's totally different. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, over on uh, NBC, there's a show called The Partners. I think that was about lawyers. I sort of semi-remember that one. At 8.30, there's a show called The Good Life, and the episode is The Commodore Cometh. Seems like Commodore was kind of popular in the 70s. <laughs> At uh, 9 o'clock, there's a movie Colossus, the Forbin Project Whoa. from 1970. Have you ever seen that movie? No. Good movie. It stars Eric Braden, who uh, later went on to be uh, to be in The Young and the Restless, which we talked about in our last episode. He was in that for like a. a oh, he's there many, forever. His, his name. What the heck was his name? Um, oh, God. Victor, 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 Victor something. Yeah, all I Newman or Vic, something. I yeah. thought Victor Newman, maybe. Yeah, yeah, but he was also a bad guy in one of the Heart to Heart um, reunion movies, I think. Yeah, but anyway, that movie uh, Colossus. That's a good, good movie. It's got the the typical science fiction trope where they they build this giant computer to run the defense system. And then the Soviets do the same thing, and the two computers get intelligence, and they link up, and they take over the world. You know, William Shallard was um, not Gidget's dad. Oh, um, Patty Duke's dad, right? Patty Duke's dad, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. he's in, the, in that Colossus, yeah. He was also on The Six Million Dollar Man, yeah. okay, when, when Steve Austin, you know, yeah, Steve Austin, how could you see that part? He says, oh, I, I eat a lot of carrots. <laughs> yeah, and he was in, wasn't he in the... Trouble with Tribbles? Yes, he was in Troubles yeah. with... Yeah, he, he he died, you know, a number of years ago, like at 90. Yeah. He was one of these that was in... You, you look at the IMDb and it's just yeah. incredible. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, if we were going to go to the movie theater around this time, a few things of interest. So Bedknobs and Broomsticks came out and that starred Angela Lansbury, who unfortunately we just lost um, yeah. just last week. But it's a good long life. And yeah, that, I saw that movie, I think, I remember them showing it in school at some point. Like I know. might have seen it in school, but I wouldn't remember it. And then on October 8th, uh, The Last Picture Show, starring our good friend, Jeff Bridges. <laughs> well, I've never I've never seen any movie this guy was in. Yeah, I've All seen right. that one. Uh, that also starred Cloris Leachman. Phyllis. Phyllis, yep, and Sybil Shepard. Sybil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and then on October 9th, you had The French Connection. Which Never saw it. Dean Hackman, Roy Scheider, Scheider and uh, Fernando Ray. It won the 
Academy Award for Best Picture in, in 1972. I saw it. It's one of my favorite movies, actually. Best car chase ever, car chasing an overhead train. In, 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 you know, I gritty, thought the best car movie. chase was in Bullet. Well, because that was a Mustang, and my buddy Heavy D that you, we went to it, Deep Purple concert with, he's a Mustang guy. Yeah. Well, it's funny that uh, Bullet came out before this, and they, they wanted to have a car chase, and it's like, how can we top it? And that's where they came up with the novel idea of let's not have car chasing car, let's have a car chasing overhead train. And then they came out with that movie with Sandra Bullock with the bus. But yeah. I saw that movie. Oh, and interestingly there's a scene in that movie which I, I couldn't find anything out but where she the bus almost hits a baby carriage it actually hits the baby carriage and it turns out it's like a homeless person with their you know bottles and cans in it or whatever there's no baby but i swear it looked exactly the same as the scene in the french connection where gene hackman almost hits a baby carriage when when he's doing the chase scene so Okay. Yeah. And then on October 29th, the movie 200 Motels, uh, Frank Zappa's musical mockumentary uh, with the Mothers of Invention and Theodore Beichel and Ringo Starr. Were in Theodore you... Beichel was, was in that Columbo where he kills Boss Hogg. Right, right. The Sky High IQ Club, wasn't it? Or, yep. or whatever. Yeah. Now I have the I have the soundtrack on on vinyl, mm-hmm. but and I think I've seen bits and pieces of that. It's a terrible movie. Is right? it? Yeah. Oh yeah. You don't want you, you know that's. I think head is better. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny though. While I was looking up that movie, I just saw where it's like on October twentieth, Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention performed at the Milwaukee Arena, and you know who else was on the bill? Rory Gallagher, Fleetwood Mac. And Marie Gallagher. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, everybody, we're live on the Twitter at 70s Weekly. This week, our recording from Sirius XM, that was done a number of years ago, <clears throat> was by Mark Farner again from the Grand Funk Railroad. All right. So, now, as uh, Casey would say, on with the countdown. I didn't remember this song. I didn't either. This is, uh, is this? this is like a freaking not good Samaritan. What's that other guy in the Bible who leaves home? The prodigal son. Uh, I'm coming home. Yeah. I'm coming home and I want everything that my brothers had to work for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is by Tommy James, whose uh, real name was Thomas Gregory Jackson. And I'm going to turn it down a little bit. I think we're a little tall here. Could be, yeah. So as a as a solo artist, uh, this is his second time in the top forty. Last year he was in dragging the line. Oh sure. So this song is featuring the Stephen Town singers. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then remember, it's really short. Yeah. So it peaked right here at number forty. Yeah. Now this song is really really long. <laughs> Well, those are the Dells. Yeah. yeah. The love we had, uh, parentheses, stays on my mind. So Casey said these guys have been singing together for 18 years. Um, they were an American R&B vocal group formed in high school in 1953. 
They were inducted into both the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Vocal Group Hall of Fame. And the group performed until illness forced longtime lead singer Marvin Jr. and bass vocalist Chuck Barksdale into retirement, ending the group's 60 year run. Wow. 2012. And um, so this one got to number 30 and then number eight on the R&B charts. And these guys had several top 40 hits in the later 60s and early 70s, including um, Stay in My Corner and Oh, What a Night. Uh, also, I Can Sing a Rainbow. Yeah. They had when one I more... saw the, this, this song title, The Love We Had, all I could think of, The Love We Had, it was hmm. a real love. Remember that song? Yeah, yeah. You know, more upbeat than this? Yeah. I forget who did that, but we've yeah. had it on the countdown. Yeah. So these guys would have one more top 40 hit in the 70s, uh, Give Your Baby a Standing Ovation, that went to number 34 in 1973. After it gets hit by Sandra Bullock's bus or Gene Hackman's car. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was a time when All right, do we have ourselves some Sprechnish net? <laughs> yeah. I gotta learn how to say that. And I'm, I'm part Bavarian. Yeah. Uh, maybe I can find, uh, record the internet uh, pronunciation or something. Yeah. Lou Rawls. Is right here, unmistakable, and he was during the uh, <clears throat> the prelude to the song. Casey was talking about how Lou Rawls always tells people to stay in school. Yeah, yeah. So this is a natural man, and um, yeah, yeah. Casey went into sort of a long dissertation about how Lou Rawls tries to give back in that. Wherever he would go, he would do like impromptu shows at, at high schools and tell the kids to stay in school and graduate because he considered himself lucky to have graduated. Um, yeah. So this song won a Grammy for Rawls as Best Male R&B per, uh, Vocal Performance in 1972. It got to number 17. In 1982, Rawls received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And on January 19th, 1985, he sang Wind Beneath My Wings at, a, at the nationally televised 50th Presidential Inaugural Gala the day before the second inauguration of Ronald Reagan. And hmm. uh, Lou unfortunately passed away in 2006 at the age of 72. Didn't he sell something? Didn't he sell? Or am I thinking of Billy Davis Jr.? Um, no, Lou Rawls might have done some commercials too. Uh, I'm picturing him doing something. I think he sold Budweiser. Might have been. I'll uh, I'll, I'll look that up. And yeah, Billy so. D. Williams sold Colt 45. Colt 45. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't see Lou. Yeah. See, maybe you can stick a commercial in here if we can find something. Yeah. When do you say I did not remember this song. 
I didn't either. This is a long time ago, 51 years ago, Mark. Yeah, so this is Women's Love Rights by Laura Lee. Uh, her real name is Laura Lee Newton. This one only got one notch higher to number 36. Uh, Laura Lee was a American soul and gospel singer and songwriter. This was her only top 40 hit, but she had quite a few on the R&B charts, uh, most notably Ripoff that went to number three in 1972. She became seriously ill in 1975 and had to retire from the music industry for several years. She returned in 1983 with a gospel album entitled Jesus is the Light of My Life, on which she worked with the Reverend Al Green. Um, and then by 1990, she was uh, recovered from her illness and had been ordained as a minister. Um, she's still with us. She's 77. So that's good to hear. Number 36. This guy can sell Dramamine. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this is uh, James Taylor. And uh, long ago and far away. So this is off his album Mudslide Slim and the Blue Horizon. James Taylor wrote it, and uh, Joni Mitchell sings background vocals, and Carol King plays piano on this oh, one. That's beautiful. And the theme of the song is how things don't turn out as planned. And um, just imagine one, that. Yep. This one got a little higher, to uh, number thirty-one, but I I don't really remember it other than it sounds like a lot of james taylor yeah songs. it's not it's not you know that james taylor's doing this but yeah other than that nothing nothing here go placidly amid the noise and haste and remember what peace there may be in silence. So, as far as possible, I, I surrender. looked at the title of this and it's like, I don't know what this is. And then when I heard it, it was like, okay, I do remember this actually. Um, so, this is a Desiderata by uh, Wes Crane, whose real name is uh, Leslie Stein. So, Casey talked about that this is the spoken word song from a poem that was a, a thought to be written in 1692, but that turned out to be a hoax. Um, this desiderata um, in Latin means things desired, and it's actually uh, from the early 1920s by American uh, writer Max Ehrman. So this song peaked at number four, winning a Best Spoken Word Grammy. Um, I actually remember seeing a planetarium show in Florida, and they played at least the chorus of this show, uh, this song, or maybe they also played the spoken Enjoy word part. But um, well yeah, I, I was down there in 1979 on vacation with my parents. Yeah, I, I sort of remember this. And um, you better exercise caution when crossing the road. Yeah. So apparently Leonard Nimoy also uh, recited this poem on his 1968 album, Two Sides of Leonard Nimoy. And then in 1972, National Lampoon released Deteriorata, a parody of the poem and this uh, Les Crane spoken word recording. 
Um, yeah, and then uh, the actor Morgan Freeman interviewed in 2012 on Oprah Winfrey's Masterclass television special explained how he, how deeply this poem had shaped his life. So uh, I'll put a link to the uh, Wikipedia page about the poem and also the uh, link to the parody as well, which is pretty funny. How many days are in the week? Um, there's seven, as I recall. <laughs> well, not according to this this artist known as the Eighth Day. Yeah, and they're doing. You gotta. You gotta. You. Oh my gosh! You got to crawl before you walk. I yes. gotta. I gotta learn how to read before I talk. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, this one uh, got to number 28 on the chart and then on num- uh, to number three on the R&B tra- chart. So these guys were in our episode 15 from uh, August 7th, 1971, uh, with She's Not Just Another Woman. And That's that was a nice song. number 36. And we yeah. talked about how these guys are the same group as 100 Proof Aged Soul. Um, yeah. and, and where Holland and Dozier and Holland, excuse me, Holland Dozier and Holland decided to have them record songs under a different name, so as not to ruin the chart performance of somebody's been sleeping in my bed. So this was uh, this group's last top forty hit. This is Rain Dance. Uh, they, this is the Guess Who. Yeah, off their album So Long, uh, Bannatine. Um, this one peaked at number 19, written by Burton Cummings and Kurt Winner. Um, I don't know. I, I don't like the chorus in this and the line about the gun. I think that kind of ruins the song. Yeah, I didn't listen to the, to the words. No, it's got a nice groove. Right. Yeah. I never listened to, the, to these lyrics. This yeah. song. So the it sounds, sounds like Burton Cummings here is like, he sounds like he's got to go to the bathroom, you know? <laughs> he's like, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. Yeah. Right yeah. yeah, I think if they took that chorus out, it'd be a much better song. Okay, how many weddings have you been to where this has been played? <laughs> I I remember at least one, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I bet I've been to half a dozen. That had, we did not have this at our wedding. We had the band, of course, play September <laughs> by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, this is the wedding song, uh, parentheses, There is Love by Paul Stuckey, who Paul and Mary. is, yep, that Paul. And this was off his first solo album, which he recorded after Peter, Paul and Mary disbanded in 1971. And he wrote it for ex-Peter, Paul and Mary bandmate Peter Yarrow's marriage to Mary Beth McCarthy. 
the niece of the senator and one-time presidential candidate, Eugene McCarthy. Yeah, so this song, as you said, has been used in many weddings and has been recorded by a number of other artists over the years. Petula Clark took it to uh, number 61 in the U.S. with her 1972 cover, and the Captain and Tennille also covered the song in 1976 off their album, A Song of Joy. Um, Paul Stuckey's uh, real full name is Noel Paul Stuckey, and he's still with us. He's uh, 83 years old. Speaking of Jack Cassidy, mm -hmm. he's the son of Jack Cassidy. And uh, Sean Cassidy's mother. Yeah. I don't know how many times Jack Cassidy was married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, of course, this is I Woke Up in Love This Morning by the Partridge Family off their album Sound Magazine. So this one went to number 13, and Casey talked about how the Partridge Family mom, Shirley Jones, uh, got an Oscar for Elmer Gantry, and her stepson, uh, David Cassidy, was only uh, the age of 10 when Shirley won that Oscar. So this song was written by L. Russell Brown and Erwin Levine, um, who also wrote Tie a Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree for Tony Orlando and Dawn. And the rock band Weezer covered this um, as a Japanese bonus bonus track on their 2009 uh, live album, Gratitude. Uh, and I just listened to a, a Conan O'Brien podcast with the founder uh, Rivers Cuomo from uh, uh, from those guys, Weezer. So I actually think there's a pretty good song for the Partridge Family. So this was a repeat from our uh, previous 1971 episode. This is Smiling Faces, sometimes from The Undisputed Truth. So Casey said this, this song had been on the top 40 longest this week. It had gone up to number three. And um, yep, and last week we we had the backstabbers from the OJs, which quotes the title of this song in that song. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And this was on my Farmington Blues 3 CD. And I actually did use Roman numerals for those. So I, I, I. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is number 29. So Freddie Hart. In a way, he sounds like Freddie Fender right here. Mm. No? It and, does, uh, actually. It's easy loving. And it's on Capitol Records, and I barely remember this. this. This is a country guy, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is off his album, California Grapevine. Uh, his, his real name is uh, Frederick Segrist. This one got to number 17. But it was Song of the Year by the Country Music Association. Oh, wow. And it was composed by country music singer-songwriter uh, Freddie Hart, released in the summer of 1971. 
became a, his breakthrough hit and a country music standard. The song very nearly did not become a hit in mid-1971, a disc jockey at Atlanta Georgia radio station WPLO began playing Easy Loving to great response. The song quickly caught on nationwide, and by August, uh, it had broken the top 10 on the Billboard Hot Country Singles chart. And um, I thought WPLO was based in Palestine. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> so this was uh, the only pop hit of Hart's career, but he had many hits on the country charts. Uh, he passed away in 2018 at the age of 91. So good long wow. life. He was an old guy when he did this. Double yeah. Awesome. yeah. Mm-hmm. Was he ever on Hee Haw? I would imagine. I'll have to look that up. So this band is one of the bands from Canada this week. Yes. So this is One Fine Morning by Lighthouse. And um, yeah, Casey said they're from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. This one got to number 24 and it was a big international hit. Ronald, is Maynard Ferguson on this? <laughs> I know, sort of sounds like it. Uh, yeah. Ronald Harry Skip Prokop um, was uh, the the singer on this and these guys were a much bigger band in Canada where they had several top 40 hits uh, their only other US top 40 hit was Sunny Days that got to number 34 in 1972 so these guys performed at the 1970 Isle of Wight Festival and they were the group that came on right before the band Taste founding member was guitarist Bertie Gallagher <laughs> This is a good song. That's a good I, song. I remember this one. I think you'll still hear this on the 70s channel. And I'm almost thinking uh, you, you wouldn't hear it on classic rock. It's it's too. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it's a I, I've heard it not not too long ago. Well, this is that happy couple, Lenny and Bonnie, that had a whole bunch of hits and then got divorced a year and a half later. Yeah. <laughs> I think we talked about them on the last uh, <clears throat> last countdown. This is You Know What I Know, and this is isn't this a Dave Mason song from Traffic. Yeah, it's actually Only You Know and I Know. This is the title. And um, yeah, and yeah, originally uh, written and recorded by Dave Mason in 1970 from his LP, Alone Together. Alone Together, yeah. yeah. This song was his first charting single and it became a modest hit for him in the US. The Delaney and Bobby version got to number 20. Yeah, of course, uh, we talked about Delaney and Bonnie before they were American duo of singer-songwriters. Delaney Bramlett and Bonnie Bramlett in 1969 and 70, they fronted the rock and soul ensemble, Delaney and Bonnie and Friends. Yep. Yeah, members at oh. different times included, yeah, Eric Clapton, Dwayne Allman, Greg Allman, George Harrison, Leon Russell. And uh, after they broke up in 1970, several of the members were recruited by Russell to be in the uh, Mad Dogs and Englishmen. 
which we Wasn't, talked about before. When when Dave Mason joined Fleetwood Mac in the mid '90s, after Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham left, didn't Delaney and Bonnie's daughter, Ramley Bonnet, or whatever her name was, be part of that 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 uh, that band? And they got like two other people it, to fill in. It might have been. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Because I remember that concert, it was going to play at the, the the shed around here, and it just got terrible reviews. And Roger Catlin, I think, wrote about it, saying, you know, when when the kid got up there and says, "And here's Mick Fleetwood and what's the other guy's name? Uh, Mac, John McVie." Mm-hmm. Uh, they're yelling at the podcast machine right now. <laughs> These are the original members. Yeah. So great song, and Dave Mason was part of it too. I yeah. think he's great. Yeah. So the uh, Delaney and Bonnie and Friends um, were on the bill with uh, Blind Faith at uh, Bridgeport Stadium um, in July 13th, 1969. And uh, Taste was also on that bill. Bridgeport Stadium? Yeah. Not not our Bridgeport, right? Yes. (laughs) There's a stadium down there? It was called Kennedy Bridgeport Stadium. I have seen All right. Here's the guy that's selling some sort of old man medicine on TV. He can't do his movies anymore. <laughs> can't sing, but he can still carry his guitar. Oh, no, that's Jeff Bridges. Don't get them mixed up. The bricks you dip in the gold and the gold you dip in the red paint. Oh, boy. Not Chris Christopherson, who was in A Star is Born with the Barbara Streisand, and he was in the... Uh, Wrote a lot of great songs. He wrote Me and Bobby McGee. And yeah. he was part of the Highwaymen with Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings. And, and uh, that redhead stranger from someplace, uh, Willie Nelson. This song is is tiring. And, yeah. Uh, but he he's he's very important. Does he have a, a, a star on the uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame? Ah, I would imagine so, but you, you never know. With He's got a prescription things. that he can pull from the Hollywood, unless he lives in Nashville. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, this song, uh, yeah, Loving Her Was Easier, uh, parentheses, than anything I'll ever do again. Um, it got uh, peaked right here at number 26, but got to number two on the country chart. And, yeah, he's uh, 86 years old, Chris Christopherson. Now, this song is Staggerly. It's being done right now by Tommy Rowe. And this is a, and that's probably not his real name, but this is a, this is a standard. You know, you hear the Grateful Dead do this song and probably the Fish and... You know, you hear a you know the bar band doing it for you. Yeah, this is a very very old song. This song was first published in 1911 and first recorded in 1923 by Fred Waring's Pennsylvanians, also known as Staggerly and other variants. Um, it's a popular American folk song originally about the murder of Billy Lyons by Stag. Lee Shelton in St. Louis, Missouri at Christmas 1895. Lloyd Price's version reached number one on the Billboard chart in 1959. Lloyd Price's best song is Personality because that's a Bob Steele song. (laughs) Yeah. 
And uh, his version is ranked 456 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. This song's been, yeah, covered by just about everybody. This Tommy Rowe version peaked right here at number 25. Uh, Tommy Rowe is best remembered for his hits Sheila in 1962 and Dizzy in 1969. And he's still with us. He's 80 years old. Right there, it sounded like a little Carolina County ball by Elf. uh, That jingly jangly piano. So this is another family act, according to Casey. These guys are brother and sister. Yeah. Yeah, so this is a chirpy, chirpy, cheap, cheap by Mac and Katie Kassoon. Their real names were uh, Gerald Farthing and Catherine Farthing. This you can song, call me Mac. Yeah. This song was uh, originally recorded in 1970 by its composer, Lally Stott, and made popular in 1971 by the Scottish band, don't you know, Middle of the Road, for whom it was a number one UK chart hit. This parallel release by the Kassoons was uh, a U.S. hit, peaking at number 20. And Mac and Katie were originally from Trinidad and Tobago. Oh, that's right. They talked about that. They emigrated to the United Kingdom with their family in 1962. This was their only U.S. pop hit, but they had several in Europe, particularly uh, popular in the Netherlands. They, they disbanded uh, as a group in uh, the 80s, but then they were uh, doing backing singing for a lot of uh, a lot of other musicians. Katie is still with us. She's 71. Uh, Mac unfortunately passed away several years ago. Is Paul Revere or Paul or just the Raiders? Um, at this point, it's just the Raiders. And uh, this is Birds of a Feather. It's off their album, Indian Reservation. We had that before. Yeah. Uh, they couldn't find much of anything on this song, but it, it's originally a 1968 song by Joe South from his first LP, Introspect. Joe and, South, he's a guy that, that uh, wrote Hush, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, this version peaked right here at number 23. Choo-choo! Oh, I remember this song. Unlike the last one. (laughs) There it is. Stick up. Um, This is by The Honeycomb. So, when this first came on, I'm like, Boy, this reminds me of that song, Wan Ads. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And I'm like, hmm, that's because it's by the same group. <laughs> this one got to number 11, and it was a number one on the R&B chart for three weeks. And uh, yeah, Honeycone was an American R&B soul group formed by lead singer Edna Wright, sister of Darlene Love. And also um, Carolyn Willis and uh, Shelley Clark in 1968. 
Yeah, they're best remembered for their number one hit want ads, as I just yeah. said. And um, so, did they ever use this song for Airwick stickups? Oh, uh, that's a possibility. If so, maybe we have another sponsor this week. I'll have to check mm. that out. Yeah, but um, so it's interesting. These uh, these ladies first appeared together on the Andy Williams TV special in 1968 after uh, Wright's sister Darlene Love was scheduled to appear on the show but was unable to. And so she asked, uh, asked her sister to fill in. And um, so Wright asked Wilson Clark to join her and she also contacted Eddie Holland who had uh, recently left Motown Records along with uh, Brian Holland and Lamont Dozier to form HDH Records, and they watched the show, and uh, yeah, um, they gave these that, ladies a contract. So. That's great that someone could call up Andy Williams or his management and say, "Hey, my sister can't do it, or I can't do it. Can you have my sister on the show?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I doubt that would happen today. No, no. no. I like this one though. Oh. Marvin Gaye. I do not remember this Marvin Gaye song. I don't. And, uh, there's there's a lot of memorable Marvin Gaye songs. This is not one of them in my repertoire. Yeah, it's 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 got a very distinctive sound, similar to the other things off the album. So this is a inner city blues parentheses make me wanna holler. Yeah, Marvin Gaye. It's on on the album "What's Going On," the huge album. Big, big, big record. Yeah, yep. this is the third hit off of "What's Going On," and uh, Casey described the album as both uh, an album of religion and social commentary. The title track got to number two. Also, "Mercy, Mercy Me" got to number four. I do very like important record. Very, yeah. very important. Record. I do like the line in the song that says, "The fact is, I can't pay my taxes." Jeez. <laughs> oh, so this one got to number nine. <clears throat> well, Casey was saying how this song, and everyone knows the song. If you don't know this song, you've been living under a rock for 51 years but this was not even on the hot 100 last week and uh <clears throat> it had so many pre-sales it jumped right up to number 20 uh, and uh big big song imagine and uh iconic photograph of john lennon playing the piano you buy a big poster i remember yeah uh, at, the, at the record store years ago probably still can yeah so from what i read the imagined concept actually came from yoko ono who was uh you know very much into open-mindedness and using your imagination and in 1964 she published grapefruit a book of instructions and drawings that established the lyrical concept for this song in in instructions she had ideas like imagine the clouds dripping dig a hole in your garden to put them in and imagine myself crying and using my tears to make myself stronger. So it's funny though, 
John Lennon, like originally he didn't give credit to Yoko Ono for the ideas to this, but he was later quoted as saying, yeah, um, this should be credited to the Plastic Ono Band. He said he was a little more arrogant at the time and didn't want to give her credit. Yeah. Well, and this was a big part of the one of the WKRP in Cincinnati episodes that I remember from eight or you know, seven or eight years later about uh, censorship on radio and stuff like that. And, and it was a big deal. And Mr. Carlton finally put his foot down and told his mother, I'm going to play this song. I'm going to let Johnny Fever play or whatever. And that's when WKRP turned into MASH. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I remember that episode as well. Number 19. So our colleague Brian was at the plant today. He says, I just finished up listening to episode number nine. He says, you and Mark, you both, your worst song of the, of the countdown was something about Tinny. I'm like, Tinny? You know, I'm thinking Tiny Tim. I'm thinking this and that and the other thing. And I looked it up. And it was Billy Don't Be a Hero. Okay? And that song was in my brain at work all day. <laughs> oh, God. You poor, okay? you poor All right? Guy. Bo, Bo Donaldson and the what you call it. So thank you, Brian, if you are continuing to listen. But, so he's listening on his commute now. But what was the Tinny? He just got it all wrong. Oh. It was Billy Don't Be a Hero. Okay. So this is uh, Never My Love by The Fifth Dimension. Um, and this uh, was written by the songwriting team of Don and Dick Adrizi, the Adrizi brothers. Uh, they went, went on to have some other hits of We've Got to Get It On Again and Slow Dancing Don't Turn Me On. Um, so but this, wasn't this song done by someone else and it yeah. was a bigger hit? was originally made a hit by The Association, number two in 1967. Um, the Fifth Dimension was produced by the same man behind The Association's rec- record. I get them con- confused, The Association oh, with The Fifth Dimension. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Just because they, they, like this, it's kind of a similar song, you know? Yeah, yeah. So this version was recorded live in 1971, and it reached number 12. And also, Blue Swede did an up-tempo version oh, of this yeah, in 1974, yeah, 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 yeah. reached number seven. You sure it's not Blue Swed? <laughs> Whatever you call it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is uh, Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. Yeah, the fifth dimension. We're fans of, of, of these folks. Yeah, her voice is great on this. So, this is a big, big song. Ain't No Sunshine by Bill Withers. So, this is the song that made you ask, is the record skipping? (laughs) (laughs) Because of the part where he keeps going, I know, I know, I know. (laughs) 
Now we've seen Bill Withers in the countdown before with uh, Lean on Me, which got to number one in 1972, and also Use Me that got to number three in 1972. Um, this one got to number three. It's slipping back now. This was released. Not skipping anymore. Yeah. So uh, this was released as the B side to another song called Harlem. And Disc Jockeys played this as the single instead of uh, that one. And this one became a hit. And Withers said he wrote this after he was watching a movie called Days of Wine and Roses with uh, Lee Remick in 1962 and uh, Jack Lemmon. And uh, the characters were alcoholics who were alternately weak and strong. So Stephen Stills plays guitar on this track. And, uh, yeah, and Bill Withers hosted the Midnight Special episode 28 of season two on March 22nd, 1974. He performed this song, and some of his guests were Melissa Manchester, Buddy Miles, Bobby Womack, and Marie Gallagher. Well, this song, I was socialized to because it was on the Pretenders LP, Learning to Crawl, that came out in 1984. Ah, yeah. And uh, that. that was a big record. That's after they came back. With back on the chain gang, and uh, my city was gone, and uh, a few other songs. Big, big record for them. And this was on there. And like, I'm sure that I read the inside and out of that uh, LP sleeve back then. And when I heard this, I says, "Oh, I, I, I know that." And um, they did a great job. Yeah, sounded. Sounded familiar. Yeah, so thin line between love and hate. Uh, so this is by The Persuaders. Kind of interesting that The Pretenders did it later <laughs> off their album, The Thin Line Between Love and Hate. Uh, this is the number one soul song in the Billboard charts right now this week. And uh, this one would go up two more notches to the number 15 on the pop chart. And it was written by brothers Richard and Robert Poindexter along with Robert's wife, Jackie Members. And, um, yeah. These guys reached the top 40 once more with Some Guys Have All the Luck, which reached number 39 in 1973. Yep, that Rod Stewart made into a hit off his record Camouflage, I think. Right, that one went to number 10 in 1984. Yep, yep. This is off a tapestry, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. So we've, uh, yeah, this is Carol King, So Far Away. Carol's real name is Carol jo- Joan Klein. Um, so she's been in our countdown many times now. Um, this was the fourth hit off of Tapestry, which sold over 11 million copies. This song got to number 14. Uh, apparently this was a favorite of uh, Amy Winehouse and she often sung it with her father, Mitch, and at her funeral service uh, in 2011, they 
ended it with the rendition of this song. Mm. So Carol is uh, still with us. She's 80 years old. This is not Al Stewart. This is Cat Stevens. Yeah. <laughs> and this is Peace Train. So Cat Stevens, also known as Stephen Dimitri Georgiou, or Steve Adams, or Yusuf. Oh, and, um, so this one got to number seven, and uh, Cat Stevens said musically he was revisiting a very Greek-sounding riff. The kind of thing you'd hear on a Greek island. And, Get your Zorba on. Yeah. And the words were attached to that theme. And uh, his he made this peace anthem. And he said uh, he ended every show with this. Uh, and he said it was quite the show stopper. People really liked it. And it was a very important song for him because it stated one of his big goals of life, which was uh, heading straight for that piece. And uh, I personally think I, I like this song as a peace song much more than Imagine, my opinion. Um, so Cat Stevens is yes, still with us. Uh, Yusuf, he's 74. Good use of the hand claps. Yeah, this is off of Teaser and the Firecat. You know, I had heard this song before. I do not know the artist. If she came up to me with a sign on her that says, I'm Denise LaSalle, I'd say, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so this is Trapped by a Thing Called Love. And uh, so Casey at this point just said in general about the songs on the chart that the last six chart records have been ballads and we're not going to stop now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this was uh, written by Denise LaSalle, whose real name is Aura Denise Allen. This was a gold record for her and, and her biggest hit uh, on the U.S. Soul Chart. It went to number one. It peaked one notch higher than this on the pop chart at uh, number 13. And she had several other hits on the soul charts. Um, She's no longer with us, uh, passing away in 2018 at the age of 83. Well, this is the second record uh, from Apple, the Apple label. This is. Uh, Call him Linda McCartney. It's not the Wings. It's not Paul McCartney. It's not the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. That's all I got. Yeah. So this is Uncle Albert off of Ram in 1971 with uh, Paul and Linda. Uh, Linda Eastman was her maiden name. So this one got to number one. Albert is Albert. Kendall, who married Paul McCartney's Aunt Millie, becoming Uncle Albert. So it's not Prince Albert in a can. No. So uh, Paul McCartney combined pieces of various unfinished songs to create this. In the later years of the Beatles, they did this a lot as a way to uh, put unfinished songs to good use. As a result, Uncle Albert 
dash Admiral Halsey contains 12 different sections over the course of its four uh, minute 50 second running time. It's a jumble of musical textures and comic character voices and sound effects and changing tempos, etc. So this one, uh, the Grammy Award for Best Arrangement accompanying a vocalist in 1971. Paul credited Linda for the writing, but this may have been a ploy so the family could keep half the royalties. Under a deal he signed with the Beatles, songs he wrote until 1973 were owned by Northern Songs Publishing and McClellan Music. And, but the publishers brought a lawsuit against Paul for this practice, which was settled out of court. <laughs> so that was interesting. This is not Take Me to the River. It says Tired of Being Alone by Al Green, the Reverend Al Green. Uh -huh. So this um, this one I do remember. This is off of his album Al Green Gets Next to You. Um, this one got up one more notch to number 11. Uh, this supposedly came to Al Green when he woke up before dawn uh, the day after a show in a Detroit motel in rural Michigan with the song forming in his mind and half about an hour later he had it written but his producer Willie Mitchell wasn't much interested in Green performing his own material uh, Green said I was toting my song around in my pocket for days on end saying hey I got this song finally at the end of the, the session I said well I still got a song it became Green's first hit and of course, his next single, Let's Stay Together, would get to number one in 1971. And the Reverend Al Green is still with us. He's 76 years old. I cracked up. <laughs> <laughs> I crapped up. I crap. I, I cracked up when I saw who the artist is in this. <laughs> What's the name of the artist? It's the free movement. Yeah, you know when you get to be our age, that's important. Yeah. So this is. Uh, I found someone of my own. This one got to number five, but amazingly only number twenty on the R&B chart. Usually it's opposite, but. Uh, this was listed as number 27 on the year-end hot singles chart. It was written by Frank F. Robinson. The song was covered by Ray Conniff and the singers on their 1971 album, I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing. The Free Movement was an American R&B <laughs> vocal group <laughs> formed in 1970 in Los Angeles. This was I their... can hear this as a Metamucil commercial. <laughs> yeah. So this was their only top 40 hit. Uh, uh, they had one other top 100 hit with The Harder I Try, The Bluer I Get. That one went to number 50. So Gail and I used to crack up at this song because how slow and dramatic he describes doing ordinary things, you know? And I used to imitate it. It's like, I got up from the table 
dump my plate in the trash. <laughs> I went to the bathroom and had a free movement. <laughs> mistaking who this is this is uh, our man stevie wonder and this is if you really love me off the album where i'm coming from so casey said and here's a quote uh, here's a boy that was born in saginaw michigan yep yeah. um so, saginaw is that on, on lake michigan or is that near detroit it was in the middle. I couldn't Michigan's tell. Michigan's a big place. It's big, yeah. I bet I bet our friend uh, Rob in Texas who listens, who grew up near Traverse City in Holland, would know exactly where Saginaw is. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Stevie Wonder wrote this with uh, Sarita Wright, whom he was married to in the previous year. And they co-wrote the 70s Spinners hit, It's a Shame, and nice. all nine tracks on Wonder's 1971 album, this one here, uh, Where I'm Coming From. Uh, see, they, they were divorced in 1973, but they maintained a professional relationship long after their marriage ended. DV is 72 now, and Remember, I heard Stevie was getting a kidney transplant in sure. 2019, and I hadn't heard much since. I did see a clip of him on that show, The UK Voice, wishing Tom Jones, who's a friend of his, a happy birthday in 2021. And he sang a few bars of It's Not Unusual. Nice. I'm sure it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Tom Jones was like crying. He was like in tears. Stevie Wonder is also good friends with Glenn Hughes. Ah. Can you dig it? Uh, or can you dig uh, Sammy Davis Jr.'s version? <laughs> Both good. So. We. Did I ever tell you we, we played this in marching band? Um, no, but but I've I've heard it played by marching bands before. Yeah. yeah. So this is the theme from Shaft by Isaac Hayes off the Shaft movie soundtrack. And Casey said this is the highest debuting song in the countdown this week, and it would go to number one. So it's from, yeah, the movie soundtrack and the, the movie's tagline was uh, Shaft, he's hotter than Bond and cooler than Bullet, which we mm -hmm. talked about earlier. Yeah. So this won a Grammy for Best Instrumental Arrangement and an Oscar for Best Original Score. The Oscar win made Hayes the first African-American to win an Academy Award in the composer category. Hayes was a songwriter for Sax Records before he became a successful recording artist. He wrote some hits for Sam and Dave, including Soul Man and Hold On, I'm Coming. 
I used to always joke about the line in this song where it says, he's a complicated man, but no one understands him but his woman. Because I was saying, well, who's that? Mrs. Shaft? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Isaac Hayes was the voice of the character Chef on the TV show South Park. And despite being a cartoon, Chef usually found an opportunity to sing on each show. And yeah, Isaac I've Hayes... Never, I've never seen that. Isaac Hayes did a fair amount of acting. He put out 30 albums of his own and wrote a whole bunch of stuff for others. He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2002. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2008 at the age of 65. Isn't this our second act from Calgary? Uh, yes, it is. And the name of the CFL team, I think, is the Stampeders. Ah, okay. Yes. So, so this is just said it. Sweet City Woman by yeah the Stampeders uh, off their album Sweet City Woman. Um, this one peaked right here at number eight. And yeah, for Casey, this is a three-member band, Rich Dodson, Ronnie King, and Kim Burley, and they're all from Canada, don't you know? <laughs> so this one for best single at the Juno Awards in 1972, the Junos are the Canadian version of the Grammy Awards. And yeah, the Stampeders guitarist Rich Dodson wrote this song and played the distinctive banjo. So <laughs> the group did have one other American hit, a novelty version of Hit the Road Jack featuring the DJ Wolfman Jack. So there's another one of those songs. There's the Wolfman Jack. That one hit number 40 in 1976. But these guys had quite a few hits in Canada. This is a good song. I kind of like this one. made big by Wayne Newton um I, I so what did you read I read something different so this is yeah go away little girl and this is Donnie Osmond but this is um, when he did all those records doing covers of other people's stuff yeah. yeah so this was first made a hit by Steve Lawrence oh um, Stevie Lawrence yeah, yeah yeah his version went to number one in 1962 That's so this became the first song in the rock era taken to the top of the chart by two different artists okay the second song to do that was the locomotion by little eva in 1962 yeah, and, grand funk and grand funk railroad so jerry goffin and carol king wrote both songs they wrote the locomotion they also wrote this one yeah and uh, as we mentioned Donnie Osmond is 64, but his birthday is on December 9th, so he'll probably be signing up for Medicare right about now. Um, this one's been on the charts for 11 weeks. You know, they'll play this song on the 70s channel on satellite radio. I, I really don't care for it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's by Lee Michaels, uh, whose real name is Michael Olson. 
It's written and performed by him. Mrs. Olsen, who would sell Folgers coffee? I don't know. But uh, it was produced by Michaels. (laughs) And uh, Michael was known for his soulful voice and for being a virtuoso on the Hammond organ. So this one peaked right here at number six and ranked 19th on the Billboard end of the year Hot 100. Michaels had a top four follow-up, the cover version of the Motown Standard. Can I get a witness on that? We peaked at number 39 on Christmas Day, 1971. Um, eight years to the week after uh, Marvin Gaye's version peaked at number 22. Uh, Michael's still with us. He's 76. This is a cover song. Mm-hmm. And this is by Joan Baez. And I remember... Watching Live Aid over the air with the antenna, trying to record it on the local radio station. I probably have a stack of of uh, cassette tapes where I try to record the whole darn thing. So it was on a weekend and I had nothing going on. I think my parents were traveling cross country, and Joan Baez got out and she says, "She says this is your Woodstock." I still remember <laughs> that. I wonder if I have it on. I'm one of my tapes, but she's been around a long time, did a lot of songs. This is cover of the band song, right? Yep. Yeah, this is The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down by the band. This is off uh, Joan Baez's album, Blessed Are. Um, song originally written by Robert, Robert, Robbie Robertson, excuse me, and done by the band in 1969. And this was used as the B-side to Up on Cripple Creek. And it's uh, the song set during the American Civil War. Dixie is the term indicating the old American South, which was defeated by the Union Army. So the the song is not related to his heritage because uh, Robertson He's Canadian. is yeah half Mohawk Indian, half Jewish Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> so Robertson described Joan Baez's version as a bit too happy-go-lucky for his taste, but. He was happy it became a hit, reaching number... Because he got the royalties. Yeah, it reached number three, and it introduced people to the band um, yeah. who didn't otherwise know of him. Of course, Joan Baez is yeah, a very gifted folk singer. Uh, she was a political activist. As you said, she performed at Woodstock, where she did 14 songs. She was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, on April 7th, 2017. And Casey said Joan Baez was born in Staten Island, New York in 1941. And that makes her 81 years old today, or or right around now, I should say. (laughs) Today. (laughs) Today. Whatever today is. Number four. So is Robbie Robertson related to Cher? Oh, yeah. I don't think she's Mohawk Indian, though. She like it's Armenian. And, and 0.0001% Cherokee or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves by Cher, whose uh, real name is Sherilyn Sarkeesian. <laughs> nice Armenian name. Yeah. Uh, so this was Cher's first number one solo hit and part of a big comeback. 1967 was the last time she had uh, hit 
uh, either on her own or with uh, Sonny and Cher. This was uh, written by a music producer named Bob Stone, who also wrote Dottie West's 1981 country hit, Are You Happy Baby? This song was originally titled Gypsies and White Trash. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that sounds like something that Edgar Winter would do. Yeah. So, <laughs> Didn't you have a record the, called that? Or one of them? Yeah, I think so. Um, but anyway, the producer Snuff Garrett had Stone revise it to make the title less offensive. Um, and uh, in August of 1971, the Sonny and Cher Variety Show premiered, and Cher would perform this song on the show. And um, so, in an episode of The Simpsons called One Fish, Two Fish, Blow Fish, Blue Fish, uh, the family is at a sushi restaurant and oh, there's like yeah, a karaoke a bar yeah. and an Asian anesthesiologist gets up and sings this song and then Bart and Lisa get up and they do the theme from Shaft, which is kind of interesting. Cher's <laughs> so 76 years old. Is that Meryl? So this That's is Donnie. So this is, yeah, Yo-Yo. Or is it Tito? <laughs> this is by the Osmonds off of the album Phase 3. And of course, Casey said, here are Alan, Wayne, Meryl, Jay, Donnie, the Osmonds, and uh, yeah, the song was written by Joe South. And uh, first wow, he's on twice. Yeah, wow. First released as a single by Billy Joe Royal in 1966, peaking at number 117. This version's peaking right here at number three. Um, all of these Osmond brothers are still with us. The oldest is Alan, who's 73, and the youngest is Donnie at 64. And then comes Marie and Jimmy. Jimmy, yeah. 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 You know, this is this is kind of a fun song. Yeah, it's put together really well. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's a toe tapper. So uh, after this, um, Casey played a, a an extra uh, off of the number one LP of the week. Uh, Every picture tells a story by Rod Stewart, and we won't uh, we won't play that one. And uh, I just have written here extra. Um, so I forget what it was. Is it in your book? Um, I think it's in your book. It, it was, yeah. I sent you a picture of the book. Yep. So we know who this is. But the extra was, uh, there were actually two extras, and I didn't get the other one. Uh, Reason to Believe. Now, Reason to Believe, he, you know, Rod redid, I think, with his unplugged uh, uh, record back in the 90s it was a big song so uh, a lot of life on that but this of course is superstar <clears throat> by uh the captain and Tennille. and I, I should remember who wrote this who wrote this yeah so um this was written by leon russell and yes. bonnie bramlett yes uh, uh you know delaney and bonnie that we heard from uh, yeah. before and uh yeah they were the first to record it actually they released it as a b-side of their 1969 single coming home and at the time the song was called groupie parentheses superstar 
Um, Rita Coolidge then began performing the song on Joe Cocker's 1970 Mad Dogs and Englishmen tour. And a young Bette Midler started performing the song a year later. Um, Richard Carpenter heard the song for the first time when Bette Midler performed it on The Tonight Show, and he knew it could be a hit for the Carpenters, so he reworked it in their style, um, resulting in the most successful version. Um, there's a line in the second verse that was considered too lyrically risque for the yeah, time. Yeah. And it was changed by Richard Carpenter to better fit the duo's image. So uh, Richard Carpenter is still with us. He's 76. Um, Karen, of course, tragically passed away in 83 at the age of 32. She'd be 72 um, now. So, and uh, Casey said up to this point, in a little over a year, the Carpenters had uh, had other hits um, up to here, including uh, Close to You, which was number one. We've only just begun number two, All We Know, and Rainy Days and Mondays that were number three. And then this one peaked right here at number two. Number one song, Rod, from Every Picture Tells a Story, Maggie May. And the flip side of it is Reason to Believe. So uh, I don't know if it was a two-sided single like they used to have then this song is just huge for rod made him and i know this past weekend driving back from maine we listened to american top 40 from the i guess the previous week or maybe two weeks ago i didn't record it because i was away and uh he talked about how uh rod wanted to be a rock and roll star and he bummed around with you know, the, the old Jeff Beck group, as Casey said earlier, or I guess earlier, maybe wicked earlier from here. And Rod made, I mean, he's still with us. He, he just played down at the casino a couple of months ago, or last month. Yeah, yeah, he's 77. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. This song was released as the B-side of uh, you know, the single, he said, Reason to Believe. But uh, soon radio stations began playing Maggie May instead, and that became the more popular song. Um, so yeah, of course, yeah, Stewart's, uh, this was his first substantial hit as a solo performer and launched his solo career. Prior to this, as uh, you mentioned, he was in the Jeff uh, Beck group and also Faces, and he still performed with Faces in parallel with his solo career. Uh, around this time and uh and that's when ronnie wood put out his, his record I'll, I'll do my own darn record really like it was yeah <laughs> and uh yeah and faces and uh rod toured extensively with rory gallagher uh, in 1973 actually so. <clears throat> well that was number one and uh we actually had two number one record companies this week one was a m with three and the others the warner brothers with three so i always sort of jack warner i wonder who his brother was hmm. so, i don't know but uh where to go rod what's the time for well it's that time yeah the, the song that we think will torture the other guy that we call your agonizer please no mr slug Does this agonize you? 
Yeah, yeah. For for a few reasons. Like you you said, this one drones on. Um, and and also I'm just as as we've mentioned before, not not much of a country guy. So pretty good right. choice. I, I, I wouldn't want to listen to this one too much. So what are you gonna agonize me with? Uh I picked number seven. Go away, little girl. I like this song. Oh, really? <laughs> fail. Yeah, play the uh, cue the failing music. Ah, oh, I'm sorry. I, I should have gone with the. I, I I sort of shied away from the Uncle Albert because it just was like too obvious. <laughs> I just didn't. I just didn't think the bubblegum thing would. Uh, Hit a guy that's also a Frank uh, Zappa fan. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll go from here to what I think is <clears throat> the best song on the church. I really like this artist. What's his name again? Oh, Bill Withers. Yeah. And and I crossed it off and I put something else in its place. And, and the other one would have been the Stevie Wonder, but I really didn't care for the breakdown when, when that song, I like when it's happy. Um, but this song is not really happy, but it's done so well, and I love the skipping. Yeah. <laughs> Gives you that LP feel, even if you're playing a CD or an MP3. <laughs> yeah. um, well, this one would have been a runner-up for me but it wasn't what i picked for number one uh you you, you want to take a take a guess or shall i just say it uh i have an idea that it's number nine you sir are a wizard <laughs> Yeah, I just think this is ahead of its time at this time. It's got funk and just awesome, awesome instrumentals. And it's funny, you know, you're listening to the short version that was played on AT40, it was like, I can't just listen to this. I, I went and listened to the whole thing. But uh, I also had um, there were there were a few other good songs here. Uh, as a runner-up, I actually had the uh, number twenty-nine, "One Fine Morning," and um, also yeah, the uh, yeah, ain't, uh, "Ain't No Sunshine," and yeah, "Smiling Faces." I had picked before, so I wasn't going to repeat. But um, but I think this one this one's the best. Can you dig it? What's the song that's the sex machine? All right, for me, and hopefully I have this queued up right, this is the worst song in the countdown. Because I can't even say it. Desirata? <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, 
Yeah. yeah. You know, there were a few of these in the in the seventies too, the sort of spoken word possible without stuff that uh, I, I was listening to this, I'm like, oh god, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. But it was funny that I just remembered hearing it at the planetarium. <laughs> so you have a different um, of, the, of the countdown. Um we don't get the daily double. Uh, unfortunately, I actually did, did I screw up with this because I, I picked the same one that I picked as the agonizer for you at number seven. <laughs> we get oh. the double loser, I guess. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. I think my problem with it is Donnie sounds so young singing it that, like, it doesn't fit or something, you know? He's saying, go go away, little girl. It's like, how young is she compared to you? you know? <laughs> oh, well, well, you know, uh, what can I say? I I tell you what, reasons. I tell you what, I really like the Osmond song in this countdown, though. The, the yo-yo. That one was surprisingly good. Well, we're going to back up one song to go to my guilty pleasure. And this is one of the best banjo songs out there. Yeah. From the 70s. And it's put together well. Yeah. And I would not turn the radio. Yeah. Yeah. I. It's interesting. So this was the first runner up for my guilty pleasure. And I went back and forth. And it could probably be my guilty pleasure because the, the song I did pick for that was the number 28, One Fine Morning. Just uh, One Fine Morning? Yeah. I just think this song should get some attention because this is a great song. Well, they're both from Canada, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good song. But this, like, this song puts you in a good mood. I really like this one. As, as a you know, second runner-up, uh, I Woke Up in Love This Morning by the Partridge Family. It's also a pretty good song by the Partridge Family. Well, <clears throat> when, you, uh, when you're talking about one of these other songs, and I forget what one was just in the last hour, because I have CRS... I said, boy, that could be the story song of the week. But of course, I picked the obvious one. Number five. This is a story about Billy Joe and Bobby Sue. Yeah. Even though it's probably fake, like the night Chicago died. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's got some, I guess, historical errors in it <laughs> from yeah. what I read. But uh, agreed. Although I didn't pick it for uh, for mine necessarily, You're what? there there were other contenders for the uh, story song of the week. Um, so I had number four. All right. I mean, she starts off telling a story, and I also like how they sort of sneak in. How the story, you know, ends at the end with the being the grandfather instead of the father selling, uh, doing whatever he could. So 
But yeah, I had uh, I had the night they drove all Dixie down, uh, also as the second runner-up, I'd say. And uh, number twenty-five, Stagger Lee. That's a story song. Yeah, I think that's one I was thinking about when. And, we and also, about the, yeah, yeah, and uh, Maggie May, kind of too. But um, I'd say. I'd say this one and and the night they drove old Dixie down were the strongest too. All right, so my divergent songs, I'm not going to cue them up. Is "Long Ago and Far Away," number thirty six, by James Taylor, and where's the other one? Because I didn't write it down. So far away, number sixteen. Ah, uh, even though they're buddies, it had the far in it and. You know, maybe maybe it's not that virgin, maybe it's too close. I had a hard time. Yeah. Yeah, this wasn't easy to do. And um yeah, I got two that I'm not sure about and, and uh, you know, don't bother queuing these up either, but uh, I went with uh uh number thirty smiling faces sometimes <laughs> versus number seven go away little girl and I just think they've completely opposite tones of songs the, you know smiling faces is kind of bad and evil and you know go away little girl is, is just really bubble gummy so <laughs> I, I really obsessed with that didn't i this <laughs> count sure up. did so as we because this is a good song as we write the countdown uh, I'll go first. Okay. I'll give it a C plus. Okay. And my reasoning is because it was a long time ago, and I was six years old, and a lot of the stuff stinks, and a lot of it um, <laughs> is uh, stuff that I don't want to hear again uh-huh. you know, after after fifty years on the radio, uh, and. It, it, it was a hard one to, to roll through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, we're, we're pretty close. So I, um, in my individual ratings, I had uh, 22 good songs, 18 neutral, three bad, and zero sap. But I rated it a B minus. Um, it, as you said, tough to get through. It was almost depressing. I thought the first at least like the first 10 to 15 songs it picked up at the end um and there's some good stuff but yeah there's some covers and there's stuff that's kind of crummy and not into the country stuff and um yeah as you said for for us we were we were so young um that most of the stuff we don't remember so b minus yeah all right, so as we wind up uh, episode number 25 from <clears throat> the week ending October 23rd, 1971, what would what would Casey say? Yeah, so as Casey might say, keep those smiling faces and keep riding the peace train. Beautiful. And keep your podcast machine tuned right where it is, folks. We'll see you next time. All righty.
Tell the truth. Smile.